Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to any visitors worshiping with us this afternoon. We also welcome anyone who is joining us online this afternoon. We welcome Pastor Anton Salman from Willoughby Heights to the uh, to the pulpit. And there is the following announcement that we have an attestation requested by Brother Casey Beesberg Jr. to the church at Aldergrove. Song of Approach this afternoon is Psalm 27, verse 1 and 2. Brothers and sisters, please rise if you're able. Let us now listen to God's call to worship 
which is taken from Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Brothers and sisters, where do we find our help? Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us now respond to the greeting of the Lord by singing from Psalm 27, the stanzas 3 and 4.
Brothers and sisters, we have come together here in church to listen to the preaching of the Word of God. It is through the preaching of God's Word that the Holy Spirit works faith in us, and God also requires of us that we respond to His Word by professing our faith. And the Apostle Paul says about that, the Word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let us now join the church of all times and places by professing our undoubted Christian faith. Let us do so this afternoon by singing together hymn 2.
brothers and sisters, we will now pray together the Lord's Prayer, as you can find it on, in, in the back of your bulletin, your literature sheet. Let us now together pray the prayer which the Lord Jesus taught us, our Father in heaven. Let us now open the Word of God. Let us read from the Bible, from the prophecy of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1 to 2, verse We read this scripture reading in connection with Lord's Day 23. I proclaim to you the word of God as it is summarized in Lord's Day 23 about the righteousness which is by faith, by faith only. And let us read now then what the word of God teaches us about our righteousness from Habakkuk 1 verse 1 to 2 verse 4. And there we read the word of God. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen rams and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. O Lord, 
Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. So far, the scripture reading, let us now sing from... Psalm 32, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3.
Brothers and sisters, let us now pray for God's blessing over the preaching of his word and his entire worship service. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, you are our light, our refuge, our salvation. Because we trust in you that you will come to our aid, we do not fear this world in which we live. You are our strength in all our tribulation. Therefore, there is one thing that we have desired of you as a favor, that we may come together here in your house to listen to the preaching of your word. It is not by bread alone that we shall live, but by everything that comes out of your mouth. It is your word that gives us life. It is through your word that your Holy Spirit renews us. And from that, we become alive. And we may live our new life. We have come together now as your people, again, to listen to the proclamation of your word and to be encouraged by it, to be strengthened by it. Father, we pray, will you bless the preaching of your word. We open our hearts so that we may listen with good attention and with eager desire to get to know you better, to learn more about you, and working also in our hearts so that that may cause us to have that eternal joy in our hearts, a joy of faith. And given also that we may express that in our worship and receive in our worship as our sacrifices of thankfulness to you. Father, keep sin and evil far away from us and glorify your name in this worship service. As we pray in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us now read Lord's Day 23 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 23, that is the first Lord's Day after the Apostles' Creed is being explained, and also the first Lord's Day about our justification. There the Catechism, or the Church, confesses, and summarizes from God's word in the Heidelberg Catechism. But what does it help you now that you believe all this? In Christ I am righteous before God and heir to life everlasting. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, I have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ." He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Why do you say that you are righteous only by faith? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, 
For only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. I can receive this righteousness and make it my own by faith only. Brothers and sisters, let us sing after the sermon in response to the word of God from Psalm 32, the stanzas 4 and 5. Beloved brothers and sisters, congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. About two to three months ago, the children, the students were enjoying their summer break. Teachers were enjoying their summer break. In June, the students got a report card. And in summer, you always have that small difficulty when you go traveling and you meet some other people and then your children, your students, people often ask you, which grade are you in? Do you recognize that? You got that question several times, I assume. Yeah, which grade are you in? Are you you still in the grade of the past year or are are you in the grade of the next, the coming year? So if you went to grade three, are you still in grade three? Are you going to grade 4 in September? Or are you already in grade 4 in June? Well, it is important that you look at your report card, and the report card that is signed by your teacher and by the principal, and the report card says that you are placed in grade 4, in the next grade. So already when you receive your report card, then you are already in the next grade then you are declared to be in the next grade. And it is not just some some stranger who declares you to be in the next grade. It is your teacher and it is the principal that are those who have the authority to say these things. So you may trust that that is true. Also, when you graduate from high school, you also get a diploma, you get a certificate. And that certificate is also signed with those who have the authority to sign it. And with that certificate you can go to university to college or anything else you want to do for which you need a high school diploma. So there's an official declaration signed by those who have the authority to sign it so it does have a certain authority. Well this afternoon we listen to the word of God and what it teaches us about God declaring us righteous. And here again, who is declaring us righteous? It is God who has all the authority to declare us righteous. And the Heidelberg Catechism also speaks about our conscience accusing us. Well, how much authority does our conscience have 
compared to God. God declares me righteous, and that is everything that I need. And therefore, I proclaim to you the word of God this afternoon, summarized under this theme, God declares me righteous. And that is in the first place in Christ, in the second place despite my conscience, and in the third place by faith. God declares me righteous, in the first place in Christ. Our faith, that what we believe, is summarized in the Apostles' Creed. And the Apostles' Creed is explained by the Hallebrook Catechism in Lord's Day 8 through to 22. So in Lord's Day 22, I assume it was last week here, then you finished the explanation of the Apostles' Creed by the Hallebrook Catechism. And now the Hallebrook Catechism continues with the question, what does it help you that you believe all this? Or if you look at Hebrews 11, that beautiful chapter of all the witnesses of faith, all those who went through great suffering, those who were even willing to give up their lives, those who were tortured, what does it help them that they believe if it brings them so much suffering? Why is faith so important to us? Well, brothers and sisters, how important is it for you to be declared righteous by God? And that is the core of our faith. That is what it is about in this Lord's Day. God declares us righteous. It does not come from ourselves. Well, what does it mean then to, to be righteous? The Heidelberg Catechism explains that in question and answer 60. Yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. And because God declares us righteous, it is as if I never had nor committed any sin. The forgiveness of sins, that is so important, we often don't realize it. We often don't take enough time to meditate on what it means to have the forgiveness of sins. But we sang about it in Psalm 32. And if you have some time this afternoon, read Psalm 32 in the Bible and what it meant for David that he did not confess his sins. His relationship with the Lord was broken. He pined away. He was suffering because he did not want to confess his sins. His sins had such an impact on his life. He was mentally totally distressed. Spiritually, it was as if he was dying. So for him, the forgiveness of sins was all that he needed to be able to rejoice again in the Lord, to enjoy his life. So Psalm 32, but also many other psalms emphasize this forgiveness of sins. And God gives us this forgiveness through His own Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God grants us the righteousness as if I had never had nor committed any sin. Think about it. As if I never had nor committed any sin. And 
And when we talk about forgiveness, God forgiving us, then we should not see that as something that is superficial. It is not something that comes easy. If, as human beings, we do something wrong to someone else, then we say, sorry. Often it comes so easily, sorry. And the other says, no worries. Is that what forgiveness is? Or if we talk about the relationship with God, then often we end our prayer, we ask all this of you in the forgiveness of all our sins. Which sins? Forgiveness of which sins? It is just one sentence in prayer. Forgive us our sins. But is that really all that is needed? Is there also that heartfelt sorrow that Lord say 33 talks about when it speaks about the dying of the old nature? Is there that heartfelt desire to change? Is there a real knowledge of sin? At the end of the day, when you kneel and you pray and ask for forgiveness of sins, and God would ask you which sins, would you be able to mention them? Brothers and sisters, the real forgiveness which we receive from the Lord goes very deep, very much deeper often than we ourselves realize, because often we don't realize the depth of our sins, but God does. And God summed us, our Lord Jesus Christ. And when God forgives us our sins, then He does not just forget our sins. Oh, no worries. As if nothing happened. And we just continue the way we did. No, but God gives full payment for all those sins. Full payment to make everything completely right. Well, and what is it that God had to make right? Well, if you look at the creation of Adam and Eve in paradise, God told them, and in them the entire mankind, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over all the creatures, the cultural mandate, and also do that in love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That was, yeah, we don't find it in Genesis 1 and 2, those words, but that was written on their hearts. God had written the, the law on their hearts, so they knew that this is how they had to live with God in love for God and, in the, and the neighbor, fulfilling their mandate. But mankind rebelled against God, and we all in Adam and Eve rebelled against God. We did not fulfill our mandate. We were disobedient to God, so we did not fulfill that command. And on top of that, we also destroyed so much. Because of our sin, so much is corrupted in this creation. We destroyed our entire relationship with God. And now God gives us the full payment. God gives His Son, Jesus Christ. And He paid for all that we destroyed. He paid all the damage which we did. And he paid for that with his own life. He died eternal death for that. That was what is necessary. But that is not the only thing he did. He also fulfilled the command which we did not fulfill. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, then you read how faithful he was to God. And and. and how much he had to do with the people around him, how much his love was for the people around him. 
And it came to a climax when he was on the cross and when the devil attacked him in all his power and he was forsaken by God. That means he did not experience any of the love of God anymore Then he did not give up God. But he still loved God with all his heart and soul and mind even when he descended into hell. He went through hell in our place. If you read the form for the Lord's Supper, I don't know when it was that you had Lord's Supper, but we celebrate it four to six times a year. I think you also six times a year. And page 605, you read those well-known words. On the left side, the first column on the top, there we read, From the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God under which we should have perished eternally. By his perfect obedience, he has for us fulfilled all the righteousness of God's law. And then it describes there, in particular, that the weight of of the wrath of God caused by our sins pressed out of him sweat like drops of blood falling on the ground in the garden of Gethsemane. And there it describes all the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. How terrible it was. And it emphasizes that it is all in our place. And that must, us, that, that must make us realize that sin is not a small thing. Like you just made a mistake, well, we can laugh about it and, and we carry on. Forget it. No. It is sin against the most high majesty of God, which must be punished with eternal death. And now through Christ, we not only escape eternal death, like a prisoner can escape prison, but is constantly fleeing and, 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 and looking behind him if they are following him. No, that is not how we live. We did not escape death. But now the entire charge against us is thrown out. When we stand before our heavenly judge, then nobody can accuse us. When Satan wanted to accuse the high priest Joshua and Zechariah, God said to him, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The charge is thrown out. No accusation against us. We stand at this very moment righteous before God. Remember again what I said about the authority to make this declaration. God is the highest authority in heaven and on earth. He certainly has the authority to make this declaration and nobody can resist him. Every authority that exists on this earth comes from him. So when he declares us righteous, then no one can challenge that declaration. God is perfect, perfectly holy, and he does not tolerate any imperfection, any unholiness. So when God declares us righteous, God who does not tolerate any imperfection, when he declares us righteous, then we are righteous for the full 100%. When you look at your report card from school or your diploma, then often you see that you have a certain percentage. And if you're above a certain percentage, then you pass. And if you're below a certain percentage, you fail. So sometimes you get 100% on your test. Sometimes you get lower, 90% or 80% or 70% or even lower. And sometimes the teacher allows you to, 
to earn some bonus marks to make up for other things that you did wrong. It was things that were insufficient. But that is not how it is with God's declaration. God does not say, you are for 80% righteous, so you pass. No. God's declaration is completely according to His rules. If He declares us righteous, then we are righteous for 100%. Completely. How? How is it possible? Did we fulfill God's law now all of a sudden? Well, yes, that is the rule of God. We are righteous only by keeping the law perfectly. By keeping the law also in love for God and our neighbor. But, but how is it possible? We know ourselves. We know that we are a total fail. It is not that, 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 we, that, we, that we got 40% or 30%, not even 1% or 5%. No, it's a total 0%, a total fail. We didn't do anything right. And still we are righteous. Well, it is all in Christ. What are the key words here, brothers and sisters, which you have to remember? It is all in Christ. In Romans 3, verse 21, the Apostle Paul speaks about righteousness which comes apart from the law. Romans 3, verse 21. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So, it is apart from the law. Does that mean that God changes the rules? That God said, well... The law, well, that didn't work, so I put the law aside, and now apart from the law, you get a righteousness? No, that is not what Paul says. Apart from the law, but the law and the prophets testify to it, bear witness to it. So God does not change the rules, but in Christ, God makes it possible that we can keep the law. We, yes, we, who are in Christ, we did keep the law. How? Because we are part of his body. You know that the New Testament speaks several times about us being part of Christ's body. That's important. Christ is the head. The head of the body. And as the head, he fulfilled all the righteousness which we could not fulfill. And because the head fulfilled the righteousness, the whole body did so with him. Because the head did it. The head is righteous And with that, the whole body is righteous. Like Paul says in Romans 6, by faith we are united with Christ in baptism, so that we will, we are buried with him into death, so that we will also be raised with him to a new life. That is how it works. United with Christ through baptism, united into death, in order that we also be raised to a new life. And the second place we see that we are God declares me righteous despite my conscience. Again, how important is it to be declared righteous? Well, read Habakkuk. Habakkuk describes the intense misery of the world. Will the whole world perish? Also the people of God. Does God forget his people? 
And God's answer is, no, the righteous shall live by his faith. Faith is the determining factor. Well, in the time of, of Habakkuk, it was a terrible time. The, the people of God was sinning against God in, in everything. There was not much good in the people anymore. And then God was going to punish the people. And then Habakkuk in despair says, God, is this the end? Do you forget your promise? Do you forget your people? And then God says, the righteous shall live by faith. Yes. It is those who are righteous who will not perish under the wrath of God. It is not whether you bear the name Christian or in those days whether you, you would bear the name Israelite or Jew. The Jews took pride in that. They were from the circumcision. They were Jews. They had a special position with God. No, God says, the righteous shall live by faith. Not by his circumcision. Not by the title of Jew. Not by the title of Christian. But by faith. It is not important that we are declared righteous by ourselves or by the world. You can, you can commit terrible sins here in this world and still be declared righteous by the world. Nowadays, with all those changes, they, they, they're putting God's laws aside and, and uh, every lifestyle is, is allowed except being a Christian. But that's not important whether the world declares us righteous or not. Or not. We are declared righteous by God, the only one who can declare righteous. And we are righteous only by faith. God declares us righteous, and it is by faith in Him that we receive this righteousness. And if God does not declare us righteous, then there is no salvation. Then you can work hard, then you can, can do your best to, to please everyone in, in this world, but there is no salvation. But if God does declare us righteous, well, who then can take it away? That is why all those witnesses of the faith in Hebrews 11 were willing to suffer and to die. Because they knew that nobody could take it away from them. Well, when we talk about faith, about being righteous by faith, and often we human beings can doubt. Catechism speaks about the conscience which accuses us in question and answer 60. And the conscience, our conscience can even use the law for that. It can tell us, well, you hear the law. You heard the law. This morning you heard the law, the Ten Commandments. Did you keep any of those commandments? Is there anyone here who can say, I kept all the commandments? There you go. Your conscience accuses you. And then, you see time and again that, that, that there are Christians who get stuck in that. Their conscience accuses them and therefore they cannot accept that they are righteous. And you see sometimes in Christianity that, that church, church leaders, make the law a harsh and cruel master. There is no mercy. No, you have to keep the law or else you are not righteous. This coming Saturday at Reformation Day, we will remember how the Reformation started in 1517 when Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the church in Wittenberg. 
Luther is a good example of someone who suffered under the harsh rules of the church, which spoke about holiness, about doing good works. Luther realized that he was unable to do any good. He suffered under that until he discovered Romans 1 verse 17, the quotation from Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. Nowadays, in this world in which we live, is that the same as in the time of the Reformation? Do you see that the conscience of the people accuses them? Well, it doesn't look like it. It looks rather the opposite. This world is an easygoing world. They don't want to be confronted with the Ten Commandments. And you see more and more that, that people want to remove every and any reference to the Ten Commandments from this public life. But under the surface, you realize that there is fear. People don't want to be confronted with the Ten Commandments because you know if they are confronted, then that then their conscience starts accusing them. And there again, we can have a look at Romans, now chapter 2. The book of Romans is a very important book if it comes to righteousness by faith. In Romans 2, verse 14, there we reads, indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on a day when God will judge man's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. So the thoughts, the consciences, accuse or even excuse them. Those nowadays offended by the Ten Commandments, their conscience is, is accusing them. Therefore they want it removed from their sight and they are trying to find excuses not to obey the Ten Commandments. How is that about you, brothers and sisters? Can you say that your conscience accuses you or excuses you? Do you try to run away from listening to your conscience? Or do you hear your conscience accusing you and you struggle with it and then respond to it in faith? And you can say to your conscience, No, for God I am righteous. Despite our conscience accusing us, we are righteous before God. And that's the gospel that comes to us, brothers and sisters. Trust in God. God declares you righteous. Don't fear what your conscience says. Don't fear what the world says. God declares you righteous. And if you accept that by faith, then you are righteous at this very moment. Not after a certain time, may go to the next stage, but now, at this moment, you have received the declaration of righteousness in the Bible. The Word of God comes to you. So it means that we don't have to wait to be declared righteous later on when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now already, at this very moment, we are declared righteous. God grants this to me, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. 
as if I had never had nor committed any sin. It is now as if those sins never happened. God does not keep a record of our sins. Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is removed from the west, so far God has removed our transgressions from us. And when we appear before the judgment seat of God, and then He sees us as we are in Christ, perfectly righteous, all the good deeds, all that is righteous, all that Christ did, it is ours. In Matthew 25, that parable, when Christ is separating, separating the goats from the sheep, Christ says to those at his right hand, you are righteous. Go into the kingdom of my Father, because when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water to drink. When did we do this? Do you remember that you did it to Christ? No. But in Christ, we did all that was good. In Christ, we helped those who were in need. And with that, we did it to Christ. In Him, our works are being made perfect, even though we must confess that so often we fall short in that all. But in faith, that little beginning that we have, that would not stand before God's judgment, but in faith, Christ does it all for us. It is all by faith that we are righteous. And therefore, the Belgian Confession can say in Article 37, that we may look forward to the day of God's judgment with great longing. In Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the righteous shall live by his faith. When was that in Habakkuk's time? It was, it was not something for the future. It was in a time when, when Habakkuk was crying out about all that was going on and all the punishment that was going to come over God's people. There at that very time, God says, the righteous shall live by his faith. In this world in which we stand, in this world in which Revelation describes, this world in which God's wrath will come over this world, in this world the righteous shall live by his faith. The time on this earth. How are we righteous before God? Only by faith in Jesus Christ. So, true faith. When you have true faith, then you are declared righteous. By faith we are united with Christ. If I had never had nor committed any sin. That is the new reality for us now. For everyone who believes. Every proof of the opposite is removed. Is nailed on the cross and destroyed. That is how easy it is, brothers and sisters. All without any merit of our own. Only through through grace in Christ. Out of mere grace. That is how easy it is, yes. And still so hard. So many who don't believe it and can't accept it. In the third place we see God declares me righteous by faith. God offers salvation to everyone. And he commands that his word be preached to all nations. Go and make all nations to my disciples. But not all will accept it. Can we say that this makes faith then again a condition? Well, you will hear that answer in so many church groups and in 
evangelical churches, Pentecostal charismatic churches, all those churches which we summarize under the name Arminians. They believe indeed that faith is the condition. God elected us based on foreseen faith. So because he knew we would believe, he elected us. But that is that's not true. In the first place, it doesn't make sense. If you receive something, imagine you're in debt and you come to the point that you can't pay your debts anymore. Someone comes to you and says, well, I pay all your debts. I pay your mortgage, pay your car loan, pay your credit cards, everything. And then you turn around and you go to your friend and you say, look how good I am. I am so smart. This guy pays for all my debts. It's my work. Is that what you would do? Of course not. But that is what they say who say that our faith is the condition for our righteousness. Christ paid for all the debts. And now we say we accept it. God could not do it for us. We accepted it. And that is the condition. Well, of course not. But even if you could make a case for that, then still the Bible says to us, no. Those who still want to boast in their goodness, they must know that even a mere fact that we are willing to receive it, even faith, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God knew that those people would say this. And therefore God made it clear that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It comes from the Holy Spirit. By nature we are inclined to hate God and our neighbor. Romans 3. There is no one who does good. No one is righteous. We will never accept this from him. Romans 1. We suppress the truth by our wickedness. But the, cha- the Spirit changes our will. Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 11, speaks about the work of the Holy Spirit, the regeneration in us. The Spirit makes dead what was dead alive. He penetrates into the innermost recesses of, of man in his heart and makes dead what was dead alive, the will which was stubborn obedience. There's a very well-known paragraph from the Canons of Dort, and if you don't know that, read it. It's so comforting. And there it is said that the new life that the Holy Spirit in, works in us, you can compare it to the creation or the raising from the dead. It is just as powerful as the creation of the earth or the raising from the dead. That is the work of the Spirit in you. It's all the work of the Spirit, not, not our own work. And it is by faith then that we are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection, Romans 6. And therefore the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6 that we have to die to sin. 6 verse 7. And when we die to sin, we must be born again. That's also what the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3 verse 3 to 8. Nicodemus does not understand it. How must that happen? Must we go into the womb again and be born again? Well, that is what the Lord Jesus says. That is what happens through the Spirit. Well, if you look at your own birth, your own birth, was that your own work? Your conception and birth, did you do that? Of course not. No one would speak about it in that way. And that's the same with our regeneration, our being born again. 
Just like with our birth, we couldn't do anything, so here also we didn't do anything. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes us to be born again. Brothers and sisters, it is God's will, it's God's desire to give us forgiveness of sins and to live with us in eternal blessedness. He gives us faith so that we will receive this forgiveness of sins. It is His work in us. That is the order. It starts with God's will. It does not start with our own will, but with God's will. We don't want forgiveness from God. But God's desire is it to give it to us. Therefore, He works it in us so that we will accept it. And therefore, we should never hesitate to go to God to ask for forgiveness. We, should never, we, we, we never come too often to God if we genuinely ask for forgiveness of sins. Every time when we come and confess our sins in faith, then we may know that God gives it to us. And therefore accept it and don't doubt. When God forgives, then you don't keep remembering those sins. But start a new life. A life which you may live in the joy of faith. Amen.
Brothers and sisters, you now receive the opportunity to give your sacrifices of thankfulness to the Lord. And after your offerings have been taken, let us then sing together from hymn 77. We praise your God, our Redeemer, Creator, in grateful devotion, a tribute we bring. Hymn 77, let us sing all three stanzas after we gave our offerings to the Lord.
Let us now pray and give thanks to the Lord our God. Almighty God, our Redeemer, Creator, our Father in heaven, in grateful devotion we come before you. We humble ourselves before you and bring our tributes. Father, you created us so that our entire lives we would glorify you and enjoy living with you in eternal blessedness. Father, we thank you that you gave your one and only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, after we rebelled against you, after we went on our own ways, we were disobedient to you. Father, we deserved eternal death and eternal misery, but we received eternal righteousness through your Son, Jesus Christ. What a miracle. Father, no human mind would ever have conceived such a beautiful plan. It's all to the glory of your name. The almighty Creator who comes to us in your love, in your mercy, sent your Son as Redeemer. Father, now we pray, will you work in us with your Holy Spirit? Will you fill us with thankfulness and joy? Will you unite us as your people, that we all may be one in glorifying your holy name and bringing to you songs of thankfulness and and joy? Father, will you bless us then as your congregation? We have blessed all the work being done within your congregation and by your congregation. We have be with the office bearers, with the minister, and the Lord, and his task to preach your word and to teach your word. The elders in their task to govern your people and lead them in your ways as shepherds with a task to lead the flock to green pastures. That they may be examples to the flock. Bless the deacons in their task, so that they may encourage all the members of the congregation also to be one in faith, one in sharing in Christ and all his benefits, one also in using all the talents and gifts which Christ, which you have given to the congregation. Father, will you work powerfully through the work of the office bearers as well as all the other work being done within the congregation that we may be united in true faith and that we may stand united in this world. That we are not divided by the work of Satan but united in one spirit and in love for you and for our neighbor. And that as a united and strong people we may Preach your word to this world, that many may hear it, many may believe it, that they may come to us because they see that the word of God is dwelling in us and that they have the desire to know your word and to believe it and receive salvation. Father, may then be with us this week. Bless us in all that we do. Guide us through your word and your Holy Spirit. Bless those living around us that we may share our blessings with them and they also may enjoy your good gifts. Above all, the one, the greatest gift 
of faith and forgiveness of sins. Father, we thank you for this day of rest, this Lord's Day, for the worship services, for the preaching of your word, for the time which we also receive to be together as brothers and sisters, to enjoy the communion of saints, also the time which we may have in our families or with friends. Continue to be with us this day that we may continue to enjoy this rest and take the time to meditate on your word which we could hear here in church, which could be preached to us so that we may be refreshed and strengthened in body and soul and are able again to take upon ourselves our daily task. Father, we pray this all in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let us now sing together from Psalm 27, the standards 5 and 6.
brothers and sisters, receive the blessing of the Lord and depart in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you.